seventh day, God ended his work, which he made. And he rested on the Sabbath day from all his work, which he made. And God blessed the seventh day, sanctified it, because that in it, he had rested from all his work. <laughs> you kind of catching on that what we do is not our work, but it's his work. And, and sometimes I think we get to thinking that, uh, we, we get that a little confused. But I know something about God's work and about what I read about God in his word. God is not a lazy God. He's a person of great passion, of purpose. He has a plan. He knows where he's heading. And uh, he invested deeply into us because he loved us. Now, today I want to speak to you on the subject, are you a lazy Christian? Are you? Are you lazy? Because, you know... God, in the very beginning, set forth the model. He set forth for you and I that we shouldn't be lazy. I was thinking about this earlier. I wonder, and I know some of you, you work hard on your job, and you come home, and you're tired, and you go through a lot of stuff. But I wonder, would you keep your job where you work right now if you work with the same diligence or you work with the same passion that you work for Jesus in the church, would you keep your job or would you lose it? Some of us wouldn't even be showing up. You say, boy, you're going to nail us today. And if I nail you because the whole, I pray that the Holy Spirit do it, I don't really want to get my attitude in it. You don't even want to hear all what I think about it. I'll make you mad. But in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning with verse 6, in the New Living Translation, it says, Now, dear brothers and sisters, we give you this command with the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Boy, he's pretty strong, strong here. He says, Stay away from any Christian. <laughs> I didn't think we were supposed to stay away from Christians. Stay away from any Christian who lives in idleness and doesn't follow the tradition of hard work we gave you. For you know that you ought to follow our example. What was the example? The same example that's set forth in Genesis chapter 2. It's God's work and he expects us to not idly or lazily serve him, but to passionately with a purpose and with his plan work for him. For you know you ought to follow our example. We were never lazy when you were with, we were with you. We never accepted food from anyone without paying for it. We worked hard day and night so that we would not be a burden to any of you. It wasn't that we didn't have the right to ask you to feed us, but we wanted to give you an example to follow. Even while we were with you... We gave you this rule. Whoever does not work should not eat. <clears throat> there was a pastor, like 
many of us and several other churches, you know, we'll show up and here comes somebody that needs something. Nothing wrong with that. But this particular person for this pastor this day needed something to eat. He was hungry. And so the pastor knew what the Bible said, and he said, I'll tell you what, I'll take you down to the local restaurant. Man, they have pinto beans and cornbread and fried taters and a slice of onion. and I mean, all that real good stuff. And he said, then when we get through eating, then I'll bring you back by the church, and we'll let you work for what I gave you. Work? You ought to give me that meal just because I'm hungry. You ought to get, why, I don't think I should have to go back to the church and work for it. My goodness. So the pastor slowly leaned over to the side of the road, opened his door, and the guy said, what are you doing? He said, I'm letting you out of my car. Because the Bible says if a man's not willing to work, he shouldn't be willing or shouldn't eat. So today you have chosen what it is you want for lunch. Nothing. You see, we, we look at that and we say, oh, we shouldn't be that hard. I just read it to you, my friend. We weren't even encouraged to hang out with people who are idle, lazy, that don't do the things for God that they ought to do. Some of us would not even make it on the job if we worked for Jesus the same or work for our employer the same way we work for Jesus in his kingdom. You see, the scripture is pretty clear. And that is, laziness should never be a part of a believer's life. You see, a Christian should never be a lazy individual. We make fun of it. Uh, that is about laziness all the time. And, and we tell different stories such as this. One fellow saw two guys laying in the ditch, and he decided that he was going to find out who was the laziest. So he said, guys, I want to know which one of you are the laziest, and whoever you are, I'm going to give you $20. And one of them jumped up real quick. It's me. He said, nope, that's not you. The other one said, I tell you what, dude, roll me over and put the $20 in my pocket. And uh, he said, uh, you win. You get the $20. You're the laziest of all. You know, when it comes to the Bible, we sometimes we, we don't think that the Bible has a whole lot to say about lazy Christians. But in Proverbs nineteen fifteen, it says that slothfulness casteth deep into a deep sleep, and an idle soul shall suffer hunger. Proverbs nineteen twenty four says, A lazy man hideth his hands in his bosom, and will not as much as bring it to his mouth again. You say, well, what kind of man is that? That man is so lazy, he's starving to death and hungry, but he won't take his hands out of his pocket to feed himself. Now, that's a pretty good picture of an individual that's lazy. Proverbs 20, verse 4 says, The lazy person will not plow by reason of the cold, therefore shall beg in the harvest and have nothing. You know, Proverbs 20, verse 4 basically teaches us that there are those that have an excuse for everything. You ever met some of those? I mean, you talk to them, well, I think you ought to go to work. Well, I would go to the work, but I got arthritis. 
You know, when I look on TV, reality, and I'm talking about reality TV, and I look at the veterans of this nation, and I look at those that have no legs, I look at those that their arms have been severed, I look at those, and they're out there working, and we have an excuse that we can't work. I don't get it, do you? Well... Proverbs 23, 21 says, For the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty, and drowsiness shall clothe a man with rags. You know, it's, it's important that we understand that in the church we do have lazy people. In the old, old, wild west. Sometimes I wished I had been born there until I realized that I enjoy my air conditioner and I enjoy my heater. But when you traveled on, people traveled on a stagecoach much like today, there were first class, second class, third class. First class would be those, if you were on a stagecoach, you've seen enough, I'm sure, cowboy movies that you know that you only have two benches and they're facing one another that you sit in in the stagecoach. If you were part of the first class and something happened or you got stuck in the mud in your stagecoach, you would be able to sit right where you are. If you were a second class uh, ticketed person on the stagecoach, you would get out and walk by the stagecoach. But if you were the third class, the third class had to get out and push and struggle and help get that stage out of the mud. You know, when it comes to the church, I've noticed that we've got a lot of first class members in it. Oh, they come enjoy the nice cushioned pews and, and they come enjoy the, the heat or the air as long as it's working. And, and, but when we call on people to have, when we get stuck in the mud and, and we need Jesus and we need to work for him and we need to, to do things, it's almost like we've got more first class than we do having those of the third class. You see, the first class attend the services and sit in the pew, but they never get involved. They're the spectators more than they are participators. There are those that, that love to be in, the, in among the crowd, but they don't want to serve Jesus. Ecclesiastes ten eighteen says, Laziness lets the roof leak, and soon the rafters begin to rot. Well, in Proverbs 6, just as God, when he began to create the world, he not only created man, he created the insect world. He created the animal world. And the Bible tells us in Proverbs 6, if you want to turn there, that if you and I want to learn something, then we want to understand the creation of God and how God all put it together. He says, go to the ant. Go to the ant. Why didn't he say go to the giraffe? Why didn't he say go to the rhino? He said, go and consider the ways of the ant. You say, well, my." When it comes to being lazy bones or when it comes to being lazy people, why in the world would he point us to the insect world of the ants? Well, there are over 11,000 different kind of ants. They live in colonies numbering from a few over to 20 million. There are approximately one quadrillion ants in the world today. That ought to bless your socks off. You ought to be shouting because you hear that kind of information. 
Well, that's a lot of little critters walking on this earth, isn't it? Ants are so numerous that scientists tell us that in the Amazon rainforest, if you were to weigh all the ants together, they would weigh four times more than all the other special mammals, birds, reptiles, and amphibians living in the Amazon. So God must have thought a lot about the ants because he made a lot of them. And I, so I think you and I, when we consider, while ants may be little fellas, or little fellas, they can teach us some things about what God expects of us and about our human life. Well, first of all, and there's only two points, major points, and that is we want to look at the work of the little ant, the work. The first thing I want you to understand about a work, they work as partners. You see, I think that's significant because when it comes to the Bible, you know, I, I've served now since, 19, well, before 1980. I was a part of the church when my, my wife and I got married. Before we got married, she and I were partnered up working in children's church. Only had, only had one little boy that showed up in children's church. And you know who that is? His name is Jim Fuller. If anybody's around here taking your kids to karate class, we had one little old kid in children's church back when Cindy and I were before we got married. And Jim Fuller, I understand, is a pretty big dude today. I hadn't seen him, hadn't talked to him, and he teaches a lot of kids around here karate. But back then, he just one little old kid in children's church up in DeKalb County. You see, when it comes to partnership, we see ants, they work together, they don't fight. They bring a, a, a work of love together. They're helpful. They help carry the burdens and, and they help injured neighbors and they rescue the buried and, and, and those who fall into pits. They don't seem to feud and fuss or fight. They work in harmony. And each of their jobs seem to be just as important as all of the jobs involved. You ever met that individual in the church says, I tell you what, I want that job like the disciples. Put me as the chief. Why are, we, why are people cut like that? A lot of people are only concerned about if they got a job of power, prestige, and prominence. But the ants aren't like that. The Bible, uh, not the Bible, but on uh, the Discovery Channel and all these things that put together about characteristics there's a dry call an ant called a driver ant and when they're on the move in africa the the lions and the elephants and the poisonous snakes all flee entire villages of people move out of their path and some of these colonies are so large that they form a front up to a mile wide and they destroy everything in its path humans animals stand not a chance against these feared little ants why is it that when it comes to the church that we don't rise up in the power of unity and, and rise up and put away our petty differences and our disagreements and stand together in the power of the Holy Spirit where hell will tremble in, his, in our presence? Why? Why do we let grievances and garbage separate us today? You see, ants not only work as partners, but they, they're productive in what they do. Do you know ants are all a volunteer service? They don't get paid. They have no guide. 
and uh, thousands of the of the ants dwell in one colony. Every one of them pull their own weight. There is said, it is said, and I'm not an ant specialist, but that there are soldier ants, and the soldier ants kill ants who refuse to work. Well, wouldn't that be something? That would have everybody in a little bit in a different incentive in the church if all of a sudden I had one button and you didn't work and I pushed it and you were zoop, gone. But, you know, I don't even know if God would want us working with that kind of motivation. I think God wants us to work not because we're working to be saved, but because we're working as a result, last Sunday's sermon, as being saved and that we love him. And that we want to serve him. And that we care about his work. You know, ants work labor according to their own ability. You know, I think it's interesting to understand that God has given each of us a job to do. And while our jobs may be different, my job's different than your job, your job possibly different than my job. But the truth of it is, when we become lazy in our service to the Lord, we can't reach the goal that God has given all of us by way of a plan and a purpose. And we, we don't have the passion to carry those things out. We end up forfeiting our duty to reach the goal. And as a result, we settle for mediocrity. We settle for laziness and worthlessness. There was a couple sitting among, in the mountains in the front of the fireplace and... It was cold outside and kind of a bad rainy night. And, and all of a sudden, uh, Jed's wife said, Jed, why don't you get up and go out and tell me, honey, if it's raining outside? And all of a sudden, after a few seconds of silence, he said, Oh, Ma, just let the dog come in and we'll just see if the dog's wet. You see, when it comes to you and I, Christians are lazy just like that in their labor. They're slothful in their service. May I remind you the words that Paul gave the young Timothy in chapter 1 Timothy 1. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God in you, which is in you, who has saved you and called you with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his purpose and his grace. How well you measuring up so far in the work. Of the little ants. Yes, ants are little old fellers, and while they can't build a cathedral, they can build an ant hill better than anybody. There are things that you can do better than anybody else, but you don't do them because you're lazy. God's called all of us with special gifts, passions, abilities, and talents. Spiritual gifts. And yet for some reason we think we're okay. Because we don't carry them out. We think it's not significant enough. But yet ants. Understand what it is to build. An ant hill. Did you know that the majority they say. Of the sexes in the ant hill are female. Now, I didn't think much about that until I started messing in the insect world and why it's important that there's certain ratios depending on what insect you're raising of 
uh, five to one, five female to one uh, male, if you're going to have successful colonies. In this colony, they tell us that the majority of the colony of ants are female. Now, what I like about solid rock, not that I'm against the females working. I think if you were to pull the females out of our church and all of a sudden they're not there, we would be in some serious trouble, but not near as serious as I've been. Because what I found out in a lot of the traditional churches that I've been in, the female were the predominant people. Husbands are either too lazy, too lost, or too sorry to even show up. And most churches will not challenge the man. I'm sitting here telling you to tell you that all are important and females are one, but males are important in God's kingdom as well. If you'll notice, those were not 12 women that he formed as disciples. They were 12 men. It didn't mean that women were not important. It meant that Jesus had a purpose for a man to be a leader in his work. My question is, Are you even showing up as an ant? Are you? Ants work continually, all day. No pay, no promotion, no pat on the back. Don't you just love to be around those individuals that work? And and, and as long as you pat them on the back, they're okay. But boy, you miss it. And they poke that old lip out and they just walk around all soaked, sold up. What's wrong? You didn't tell me how much you appreciate me. Oh, boy, that's real heartfelt, God-driven, passion-driven service for God, ain't it? Well, Galatians 6, 9 says, Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. It's important that you and I understand that we, God expects us to be used as he's gifted us, as he's empowered us, filled us with the Holy Spirit. Old farmer was sitting on a stump at the edge of the field, and a tourist came by. Stopped to speak to him. He said, how are things going? He said, well... He said, I had some trees to cut down, but a cyclone came along and saved me the trouble. That's amazing, said the tourist said. He said, yep, and lightning hit them and set them on fire. And I didn't even have to worry about moving the brush. Wow. He said, that is so cool. He said, now what you going to do, farmer? And as he stretched out across the uh, the fence, spit a long stream of tobacco juice, said, Well, now I'm just waiting on an earthquake to come along and shake all the taters out of the ground. I'll I'll be honest. There's times I've looked at people and go, what are you waiting on, earthquake, shake your tater out of the ground? What's the problem? I'm going to tell you something. I don't want to toot my horn because my horn ain't worth tooting. But I didn't have to be told when I got saved to serve Jesus. I didn't have to be told that I'm supposed to not be ashamed of Jesus. Wouldn't that be just as ridiculous as you get hired on your job 
and you have to be told that you've got to move? You've got to actually think. Whoa, that stuck finger in my. You've got to talk to somebody. You've got to be proud of whatever it is you sell, serve. I guess you can tell this wasn't meant to be one of them fuzzy feeling movie uh, uh, messages today. But the truth of it is we've done got way satisfied. And we've gotten very apathetic. Apathetic in what we do. We think, oh, just as long as I just kind of show up and show my pretty face, I'm okay. Oh, no. Ants do that every day, along with the work that they do. One day, a, a single ant was dragging a big old dead grasshopper. And it looked like this ant was straining his every ounce of what he had. And then all of a sudden, in a closer look, not only was that ant dragging that big old grasshopper compared to that ant's size, but there were two ants catching a ride on the grasshopper. Now you say, well, that's, that, that, well, that's ridiculous. It sure is. It's ridiculous every time I go to a church growth conference and they tell me that 10, 90% of the people in the, in the church do nothing and 10% not only give most of the money of a, of what, that a church gets, but 10% are the ones doing the work. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. We got churches full of ants that ride the dead backside of a grasshopper and willing to let just a few do all the work. It makes no sense to me. And it definitely makes no sense to the Savior that saved a lot of the lazy ones in his work. Well, let's look second of all at the wisdom of the little ant. Verse 6 says, go to the ant, consider her ways, and be wise. And be wise. I think all of you today would have to admit, I want to be a wise individual. I want to be like Solomon. I want to have the wisdom of God. (laughs) A golfer was golfing, and he hit a ball, and it landed right in the middle of a pile of ants. Now, I've 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 seen golfers kill birds on the fairway. I almost killed a few myself. But I've never hit a ball, and it landed in the middle. Of an ant pile. That golfer took three swings and only two ants had survived left in that ant pile. And those two ants looked at one another and says, Man, what are we going to do? And the other one said, If we're going to survive, we better get on the ball. You see, if you and I are going to do as the ants teach, we need to get on the ball. And I don't understand why today, when we look at ants, we look at ants as a pest to eradicate, but the Bible says in Proverbs 6, we ought to look at an ant for a picture to imitate. You see, society, while it might be going to the dogs, we're told in Proverbs that we need to go to the ants. 
and consider her ways and follow them and be wise. Ants are little, but they're never lazy. We have raised a 90% church generation full of couch potatoes raising tater tots behind them. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, If any would not work, neither should they eat. 1 Timothy 5, 8 says, If any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own household, he had denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Yep, answer critters, but they aren't quitters. They don't throw up their hands. They're very active. They're very busy. They're, you always see them working. And I promise you, at every picnic, in light of how busy they are, they always show up. Hypochondriac continually disturbed an old doctor in a small town. Knock, knock. It's me, doc. You have, do you have anything for a headache? Next day, knock, knock, it's me, Doc. Do you have anything for a backache? Knock, knock, Doc, it's me, Doc. Do you have anything for blisters? Well, that hypochondriac finally died. And the doctor took a big sigh of relief. And as providence would have it, the day after that hypochondriac's funeral, the doctor had a heart attack and died. And if that's not weird... And more interesting, they ended up burying that doctor right next to that hypochondriac. Everyone left the graveside. All were gone. All of a sudden, a tapping on the coffin and a muffled voice going, Knock, knock! It's me, Doc. Do you have anything for worms? Well, while I think it's true that the Bible tells us that the ants provide her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest, there's always those people that ain't going to listen to nobody, even the ants. And they're going to be like that hypochondriac. They're going to have excuses and problems and backaches and reasons why they can't do nothing for Jesus. But I got news for you. When we stand before Jesus, and the Bible says we give an account of every idle word and every idle deed. When we have to stand and be rewarded when we receive no awards because we were too dead burned like a hypochondriac with all the excuses in the world, backache, toothache, earache, eyeache, foot's hurting, back's hurting, knees hurting. Do you think for a moment that's going to hold water before Jesus? Someone said that excuses are the nails used to build a house of failure. Hebrews 9, 27 says, It's appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. We have a date with death. We have an appointment with our afterlife. And we have an end with eternity. Two men were struck, struck gold during the great Klondike gold rush. And they were so busy they didn't even notice that summer had passed and autumn was upon them. And one morning they woke up to find themselves in the midst of a snowstorm that lasted for four days. They starved and froze to death. 
Years later, they were found surrounded by gold and a note that said, Jeremiah 8.20. The harvest is past. The summer is ended. And we are not saved. You know, the truth of it is, when it comes to your life and mine spiritually, we have no excuse. Jesus has taken away every excuse that there ever could be because he's provided salvation for you and I. Yes, sometimes I think we're too busy. Yes, sometimes we don't see the seasons changing. Yes, some of you are not watching your kids grow up. You're not taking the time to spend and input your life into your grandkids. Yep, life is passing you by. And you think that, by golly, this job is just so important. And it's so important that I spend all my born days doing all what I do. And then you reach 65. What happens to the importance of that? You know what you find out? All is vain. All is vanity. But when you come to the work of Jesus, when you come to the work of eternity, you'll find out just how important that work is. While ants do prepare for the winter months and live, grasshoppers make no preparation, and when the winter comes, they die. Well, if it's true, and you know, we read and I, I get all excited about different things when I get to hearing about, if you go back and you study the four blood moons, you'll find out that each time that there was a blood moon that took place, which is four in succession, there's been at least three, and I think we're on the fourth one. We're in the middle of it. Matter of fact, April will will be the end of the third blood month, and September will come finally culminating the last of the four blood moons. You say, well, Mike, what's the significance of that? The last one we saw in September the 11th. We saw a major turn in America where we thought thought we were so safe and we thought that nobody could ever bring war to, to our turf in such a way. We saw the Twin Towers burn before our very eyes and collapse with over 3,000 people got saved or, or got killed. The core of the four blood moons is saying this. There's fixing to something take place, cataclysmic in this world, just as significant as it was, if not worse, September the 11th. Let's just suppose can't do it because the Bible says no man knows what. The time or the hour. They, but the Bible does say that we can look toward the season. And in looking at these seasons, we already know, we have in the history books, all you got to do is go back and click on Google the four blood moons and go back and look at the past and what took place around the four blood moons. Well, let's just suppose that Jesus decides that the, I'm not saying that, okay? I'm not saying that's going to happen. Let's just suppose it did. And Jesus returned for the church in September. Are you ready to meet Jesus with the books as they've been laid out? Because you have been laying books out before him. Pages are being filled in as you live each and every day. 
How are the columns going to line up? How are they going to balance up when it comes to your service to Him? I think the most significant of all, the most important of all, is do you know Him as your Savior? Are you treating Him like He's your Lord of your life? But the second most significant, because rewards are based on this in heaven, what is it that you and I are doing to serve Jesus before He comes? There's a song, an old gospel song, it may be in the hymn, Work until Jesus comes. We'll work until Jesus comes. We'll work until Jesus comes. We'll work until Jesus comes and he calls us all home. The obvious question is, are you working? With your head bowed and your eyes.